Yanidabutani Samagatani Bumani Wayani Wa Antalike Tatagatam Dewa Manusa Puchitam Buddham Namasama Suati Hotu Dhammang Namasama Suati Hotu Sangam Namasama Suati Hotu This is from the inspired utterances. Thus have I heard, at one time the Lord was staying near Sawati, in the Jeta Grove, at Anattapindika's monastery. On that occasion the Lord was sitting and reviewing the various unwholesome states that had been abandoned by him, and the various wholesome states that he had fulfilled through development of the mind. And then on realizing that he had abandoned these unwholesome states, he uttered this verse, What formerly was, later was not. What formerly was not, later was. What was not will not be, and does not exist. That's what the Blessed One said. No matter which thread one draws on from what the Buddha said, it's so holistic that every other thread is pulled along with it. You can enter it from any direction and it will take you into its totality because it is truth. And the truth has that kind of integrity. We are sitting here with the conditioned mind and the conditioned form, the body, and observing how they interact. Already you may have noticed that they are not the same. Just by observing the mind wandering, and the body is here, but the mind is wandering, if they were the same, the body would also be wandering. But the fact that it doesn't wander gives us an insight. Oh, the mind and the body are not the same. So as we observe this wandering, this is most important. When we sit down, we notice Did your mind wander? Did anyone's mind not wander? It's a very important insight, as basic as it may seem. It is a doorway into a pervasive truth. It's a universal truth for all of us. Then we see that we have so much commonality that our differences become trivial. And it is in those universal shared principles our whole existence is hinged 
within our own body and mind, we discover these truths. Then we realize that if we study our own mind, body, mind, and their processes, material process, and then the process of consciousness, and see that they're different, and study the way they interact, and how to manage that, then if we can understand that, we have understood everyone, not just ourselves. Just like if you take a piece of bamboo, you've heard this analogy, and you cut it and look in it, you'll see that it has a certain cellular structure, texture, appearance, a form that we can know and perceive in the mind. It has a circularity aroundness, and the air passes through that space of the bamboo. And we don't have to go and cut down every bamboo in the forest to know the nature of bamboo. Only one. And so it is with human being. Study one human being. We can only study one. There is no way that we can study the nature of the mind by looking at someone else. But we can study our own mind and then we can know mind. Mind as a universal phenomena. The Dhamma of mind, the reality or the real components of mind, the nature of mind becomes known to us. And then we can understand the nature of all mind. Every mind, your mind, my mind is like that. That's why if Buddha mind was developed two and a half millennia ago, every human mind has the seed to develop in that way. Then if that potentiality is there, why would we not want to fulfill it? Why would we try to do anything else? Why would we look for knowledge that is not relevant to understanding what we really are? Seeking after information. So many kinds of information. This is the age of information. We can become obsessed with collecting information. Some people are obsessed with collecting Buddhist information, even. Just collecting books full of words that explain interesting things. But that kind of information does not inform, it points to the truth, but by itself it is not truth. Looking for truth in books, we can read the books and feel wonderful, but we cannot inhale that wonder. We can't really taste it unless it points us so deeply into the heart that we sit quietly in the moment and get some kind of realization 
of what we are. But just from pure conceptual knowledge, we won't taste that. So there comes a time when enough books, enough. And we just come and sit. That's very courageous. An armchair mountain climber reads about other people that did it and gets all excited but doesn't have to make any effort. And then if that person went to the base camp of a high mountain, they'd be unable to climb. We need the gear. You need special boots and coats and maybe even a mask, breathing equipment if it's a very high mountain. Otherwise, you could die up there. It's dangerous. And so it is with this practice. We can be misled. We can think that after we've experienced a certain kind of bliss, I've met people who believe after so many times of sitting and practicing and they get some blissful experience and they think, that's it, I've done it. And they go back into the world and very obviously they still suffer. The freedom from suffering we can know when we're in the world. We can truly know. We can know by seeing how empty, empty in the sense of unperturbed, unmoved we are. That doesn't mean that we have no feelings and that we are stiff and insensitive. It's not an indifference. It's not an aloofness. It's a deep, intuitive, joyous connection to all life. Not picking and choosing, not getting rid of the people you don't like and just being with your pals. But having a welcoming relationship to all conditions. Whatever comes towards us, we can meet it as a blessing. That seems impossible. But we have the seeds of that in us, every one of us. Then we can read what the Buddha says, what formerly was, later was not, the delusion, the disturbance, the suffering, the irritation, And worse, the despair, the disappointment, the unbearable feelings, retracting from life because it cannot. That disappears. It doesn't disappear because we suppress it or reject it or stuff it down. But when we have the understanding of the profundity of this presence, and we learn how to see that truth, then there's no space left for all that undesirable impurity. One of the translations of akusala is defilement. It's a veil. So we don't know. We don't see. We're, we're blind. We're like blind 
people. But there is light in the heart. And the whole point of this project is to see. But then you will say, I'm not blind. I see, I see fine. I had laser surgery. And some people will say, I have 20-20 vision. But there is one kind of seeing that is perfect seeing. To perfect the seeing within is real. That's by studying the reed of bamboo, studying the mind, and understanding what are we then? If we are not our thoughts and we are not our bodies, then what are we? All that obscurity, it's like the clouds in the sky. When the sky is clear on a beautiful, sun-drenched winter's day, it may be cold, but there's a brilliance, and the sky is vast, empty, totally empty. Where are the clouds? Gone. As soon as the sun comes up, no clouds. So it's the same with truth. As soon as the truth reveals itself, then all impurities and unwanted states of mind disappear. They naturally leave. Very often, people speak about getting rid of anger. How do I get rid of my anger? How do I conquer greed? How do I cure myself of my addictions? The faithfulness to that presence, the dedication, the surrender to what is, taking the me, it's like pulling the pin on the ego. You pull that pin of believing in it, and it falls. But then it recreates itself immediately. So the key is to keep pulling the pin of the me. That's what mindfulness does. Sati is remembering to pull the pin. Paying attention to the object and dropping into the presence. Purely. Totally. Then everything else rushes away. Like the force of that purity presides. It's majestic when we are that empty of all these other poisons. Unless we have become established in that presence, the ego will recreate itself. Then thought is just another manifestation of self. But I'm a good person. I think good thoughts. But still, it's a different dimension. We are giving that reality that is obscured a chance to completely root itself in the heart so that we know its taste all the time, so that we never abandon it and never allow it to dissipate. We are never far away from it. Just like a mother, a responsible, loving mother, would never leave her baby, even if she has to go and heat the food to feed that small infant, she still can hear, she can keep an eye. She always has 
her attention somehow on that small little precious bundle. And in the same way, when we're cultivating, like the gardener is growing the flower, we gently pull the weeds, because you might pull the flower out by mistake. This is a very refined work and takes a lot of care. What formerly was, later it won't be there. So we will be empty. But that emptiness is a fullness of being totally present. And the mind is absolutely at rest with all conditions. So that's a state of oneness with the unconditioned. And what was will not be. So the things that we were formerly attached to that seemed so overwhelming and important and problematic and unmanageable suddenly seem just nothing at all. So tremendous ease of peace with all conditions. And that's possible. When we're fully established means through all the various stages of freedom from worldly conditions, then the suffering that was is not only not there anymore, but it never will exist for us again. What a freedom. Why wouldn't we wish for that? But people don't. They wish for the latest operating system. That's what we want. Or we cling to our addictions. Even our addictions to sadness and sorrow. To our painful past. I'm a traumatized person. Then there's a story to tell and to repeat. And we get some sense of being alive from it. But it's the bondage, not a freedom. And we believe in it so much. It's, in fact, a creation of the mind that has become calcified, like calcification. And we don't know how to find the real medicine to dissolve it anymore. No one can really help us. And there are more and more syndromes of this sort manifesting. So even our miseries become very specialized. This is serious suffering going on. And people are not able to find the way out. And then we are incurable. The body is incurable. But the mind can be freed of that dis-ease, that unease that disconnection from our true resting place that will free us. And if we just incline ourselves, if we can only learn how to dissolve what we've added onto all the suffering conditions of human existence, which each one of us is bound to experience in one way or another. But that's 
the journey. Then, if we can understand the mind process, the body process, by studying and observing and understanding, then death will be the most natural thing in the world. The wise never fear death. Wisdom is not just information. It's to be experienced directly here and now through our own attention, properly directed, established, concentrated, and developed, then reality rushes in to reveal itself. When you see winter dissolving, winter is melting. Ice is melting. When the sun melts the ice, Ice can be so powerful. When we were on retreat, and we had those few days when it was thawing, so the snow slowly began to melt. There were these giant icicles hanging from the rafters, and you would have to take care not to stand in the trajectory of those icicles. They were quite heavy. Ice is dangerous. But when the sun rises then the ice melts. This is the simile for the light of Dhamma, when the light of this truth rises inside our own heart, when we wake up to it and see directly through our own experience, just through the stillness of the mind, suddenly understanding and seeing for the very first time truth after truth, Beginning with, the mind is wandering. The body is sitting here. They are not the same nature. Then that illumination, we expand it, we develop it, it grows, and very soon the ignorance in the mind melts. And the flowers of wisdom naturally blossom, just like the narcissus, the tulips, the foxgloves, and then on to summer and fall, and, and then it's the colors changing. And this is the nature in its cycles. There is so much we can learn from observing nature on the outside, which reflects the learning of observing the nature of the mind and body and their connection. So this practice that we're doing is on the precipice of major discovery here. And you can feel a gladness that you even came. How many billion people are on this planet? How many people are interested in doing this? This is possible and freely. It's a precious opportunity. And then when we leave here, we take a little bit of this with us. Try to guard it carefully in your own life so that you don't forget, because we do, we forget. If you have a little space in your home where you can sit quietly with a candle and remember, what was that? 
what fell away when I was able to let go of self-view, of time, of self-cherishing, of thought, of worry, of distraction, of desire, of resistance, of confusion, of doubt, just by dropping into pure present awareness and being at one with your own experience. What was that? Come back to sitting silently and just tasting it again and developing it, making space. We have to make space in our lives for that. And we fulfill our full potential as human beings, which is what we really all wish for. And now that we know it's possible, may we always remember that the seeds of that are within us. We only need to water them in the right way. Give them the right nutrients, developing not just the meditation, but your commitment to ethical practice, ethical living, and to allowing the wisdom within you to mature patiently, courageously, and joyfully. Develop the concentrated mind so still, so balanced. How to return to that. Then the suffering has no leg to stand on and it just melts like ice. When it melts, we are protected by this abiding in truth, in these refuges we take, secure and trusted shelter. The storms of the heart cannot disturb us then. This is not a belief system. It's a pasiko. Come and see. Experience. Feel. Connect. Be with through the silence and the space and using those right tools like the mountain climber. You have to be properly equipped. And this mountain is steep. How difficult it is to penetrate through the masks, the layers, the calcification, like those barnacles on the boat. Very, very difficult to penetrate through, but it's possible. Until we reach that perfection of wisdom, we have a steep climb. Who will accompany us? Our spiritual friends are 100% of this path. This is the Buddha's advice to his disciples. Gather together to fulfill this highest aspiration of a human being. Sit together and create the space, the emptiness, so that the wisdom of the perfected mind, heart, can shine and dissolve, melt away all those 
despairing, deluded states that obscure that light. We can do this for each other. We may have been brought up blind, but let us commit ourselves to seeing. Even at the moment we take our last breath, everything opens. Even if we were brought up in blindness, lived most of our lives unconscious, that doesn't matter. As long as consciousness can be awakened while we still have this capacity to awaken.